Okay. We are on the record. Page 540, right. chapter 42. We are talking about how to develop reverence for God. And faith and reverence are very much related because if I truly believe in God, I'll, re I'll revere him. If God is truly relevant to me, I'll revere him. And the more I think about him, about his relevance, the more I internalize my faith, the more I'll actually revere him. Take a look on 540. It's the first bold paragraph. It's the middle of the page. It's actually the only bold paragraph. Huh. He says, now every person in Israel, every single Jew, whoever he may be, right? It doesn't matter. Now, now again, when we study the Tanya, it, it's important to remember that every word the author chose, he was very intentional about. So when he says, not just every person, every Jew, whoever he may be, in other words, I may consider myself to be brilliant. I may consider myself to be less so. No matter where I fall on the spectrum, in terms of my intellectual capabilities or my emotional capabilities of focusing and meditating. So no matter who I am, I have to take time to meditate. And if you will meditate on this each day for an extended period of time, how the blessed Holy One literally fills the upper and lower worlds, the heavens and the earth, and all the earth is filled with his glory, literally. So when I take time to meditate and think about how God is everywhere, and God watches and sees and is checking our inclinations, your heart, as well as your actions and your words, and he counts every step. So think about that for a moment. Let's, let's actually, let's try it. Where is God located, <laughs> right? If you, if you compare God to a mortal king or any mortal leader, a mortal leader only sees you while you're in their palace. But there's no place where God is not. There's no place where he can't be found. So he sees everything. He's everywhere because he created everything. Heavens, earth, and he's watching everything we do. He sees us. But he not only sees what we do, he actually observes how we feel, our attitude. He not only sees if you're doing mitzvahs, he's seeing if you're doing it with a smile or not. <laughs> right? It's very invasive. It's a very invasive king, but it is what it is. And he wants to make sure our actions, our words, our thoughts are in line with what they should be in line with. Right? We're doing things right. Think about that for a moment. God is everywhere, and God is relevant. God really cares about me. He's trying to keep me in check, keep me in line. Now, every single person has to think about that. How often do we need to think about this? Okay, take a look at, go back to the beginning of the paragraph, or let's read again from the beginning of the paragraph. Every person in Israel, whoever he may be, no matter what intellectual level we find ourselves, he will, if he will meditate on this each day, we have to meditate daily. And it has to be for an extended period of time. 
So we need to meditate. We know what need we need to meditate on. Let, let's take a sec back. We know who needs to meditate, everybody. We know what the meditation is. God is relevant. God cares. We know more or less how often we know how often we need to meditate. It has to be daily. And we know more or less how long we need to meditate for. A long period of time. <laughs> However much you need, right? It's, it's probably going to be different for each person. But you know what? It's really not all or nothing. If you could think about this for 15 seconds before you daven, pull out your sitter, you're about to pray, and stop for 15 seconds. You don't even have to time it, but for a, for a, a few moments, let's say. Don't time it. Once you time it, it's kind of, you know, you're focusing on the time. And think that God really is relevant. Or even more important, I'm relevant to him. He cares. You know how we know he cares? Because the Torah is so specific about how to do things right and how to do things wrong. You have to put on film like this. You have to light the Shabbos candles like this. And if you tear toilet paper on Shabbos this way, you have to tear it that way. You have to hold the kiddush cup this way. God cares about everything. He really does care. And he wants us to do it with a smile. And for us to feel that reverence, for us to respect that, it has to be on the forefront of our minds. We have to think about it. Because what we feel is a product of what we think about. Right? That's why people who don't watch the news are more happy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Bad joke. Okay. I'm, just, I'm, I'm teasing. Erase that from the record, John, quick. I'm going to get fired. It's true, though. The news is rarely... How do I do that? Second law. rarely saying anything positive. <laughs> you know what they say? Um, you know what the evening news is? They proceed to say good evening, and then they tell you why it isn't. Right. <laughs> 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 okay. So what did, what did you just say before uh, what, what you... Think I wasn't about, listening. I, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just, I started going, well, is it true backwards also? But I, now, now I can't remember what the, the statement was. It, it could be true backwards. But what you feel is a product of what you think about. It could be true backwards. That's called, that's called slavery to Egypt. If, how we, if what we think about is just a product of how I feel, right, that means my animal soul is in control. And, and that's, very, <laughs> that's very normal. That's very and, normal. You know the saying, ignorance is bliss? Yeah. Yeah. What you th if you don't know about it and you don't think about it, then you're in a blissful right. state and everything's wonderful. Right, right. And, and the, the, you know, that, that idea is we cannot underestimate how powerful and how impactful our minds are. Okay. If I want to feel God, I have to think about him, right? And that's in any relationship. If you, you got to think about it, it has to be in the front of our minds. Now, with a relationship with God, with a king who we cannot see, we really need to carve out time to meditate. And by the way, a big chunk of the sitter provides that meditation for us.
praising and describing the greatness and relevance of God. The, the, the sitter is actually set up as a structure to help us meditate and make God more of a relevant part of our lives. Um, let's take a look on page 541, top of the page. And having carried out this meditation once in the morning, that's the optimal time to do it. Then throughout the day, reverence will be fixed in your heart. So you start off doing this in the morning and it should have some sort of a lasting impact so that when you will revisit the meditation, even for a brief moment, when necessary to avoid temptation, at any moment, at any time or at any moment, you'll be able to turn away from evil and do good. When I think about this in the morning, when I have an inspired davening in the morning, an inspired meditation in the morning, and God is relevant to me in the morning, now I'm not actively meditating on, uh, uh, about God every moment, but it's so much easier to re-trigger those feelings once you've brought them to the forefront of your mind. Whereas, if you didn't bring them to the forefront of your mind, you would have to actually meditate and you're about to, you know, there's not enough time for that. It's much easier to rekindle a feeling that has been there already than to create it anew. And so if we create it anew in the morning, it's going to have a lingering effect. Um, there was once a yeshiva student who had a personal audience meeting with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Rebbe told him that the study of Hasidic teaching, which is essentially what we're doing now, trying to develop this uh, soul revelation, uh, the soul uh, relationship with God, and the idea of meditation in our relationship with God, the Rebbe compared it to going to the mikveh. The tradition, Hasidim had a tradition to go to mikveh daily, actually, for men to go daily before davening in the morning as a preparation for davening. Now you go to mikvah once, you're purified while you're in the water, right? You leave the water, you're still pure. <laughs> and that has a lasting effect throughout the day. And the Rebbe told him, you meditate once in the morning, you're in these, you're, you're enveloped in the pure waters of this meditation. And even though you're not actively meditating the whole day, but it's going to have a lasting effect the whole day. But the mikvah only works if you totally submerge yourself. If you have even a hair sticking out of the mikvah, it doesn't count. It doesn't work, right? So we said you want it, if you want the meditation to last the whole day, even while you're not actively meditating, just like the mikvah, even though you're not actively in the mikvah, you have to totally submerge yourself, right? Let's totally focus on this meditation, even if it's for 15 seconds but let's be totally there. At that moment, nothing is relevant other than what we are meditating on. The news is not relevant, the weather's not relevant, our phone, our emails, WhatsApp, Facebook messaging, text, calls, what else did I get that I miss? Telegram, anybody switch to Telegram, Signal, what else do we have? <laughs> Twitter, right? There's a lot of, we have a lot attacking us. Don't forget shortwave radio. Shortwave radio, right? Barking dog. Barking dog. Morse. Uh, what's it called? Uh, not Morse code. Morse, what was I going to say? Morse code. What? Barrier pigeon. 
Eric, right? The pigeon, right? We, we have a lot attacking us. But for those 15 seconds before I'm about to pray, we think about God. We think about his relevance. And we totally submerge ourselves as if we were submerging in a mikvah. And we will experience the long lasting effects. It will be so much easier to rekindle an inspiration that was once there earlier that day than to start anew in the middle of the day. Make sense? Now, going back to the beginning of the chapter, Moses told the Jewish people, come on, guys, all I want is for you to revere God. That simple. And the Talmud said, asked, well, wait a minute. It's not that simple. <laughs> to revere a God you don't see is, is quite difficult. The Talmud answers, yeah, but for Moses, it was simple. Now the Tanya responses, asks on this piece of Talmud, well, wait a minute, I'm not Moses. I don't look like Moses, do I? The answer is no, you do, because there's a piece of Moses within you, right? And if we can access that Moses, we can access the reverence. The Moses within us refers to the trait of Da'at, right? Da'at, literally translated as knowledge, means the ability to connect to knowledge, the ability to process information in a very relevant way. And if we could connect to that faculty, if we can make God relevant, essentially, that's what it means. If we can make God relevant, we can revere God. That's all we got to do. All we got to do, if we make it that simple, is realize how relevant God truly is. And now it becomes, and, and not only that, but use our faculty of that. What does that even mean? <laughs> the faculty of that. Our ability to learn and integrate things. and Right. Integrate. I love that word. I actually mm -hmm. really love that word. Thank you. Okay. The ability mm -hmm. to integrate the information that we're learning in a very relevant and practical way. If we can do that, and we're capable, we have that in our soul, that's the Moses within. We can revere, we could genuinely revere God. Okay, so can I ask a question? So, yeah, um, so we have to find the knowledge and we have to revere God. We have to um, um, respect God and be and like, uh, what is, what's the word to revere? To revere, respect, those are both, yeah. both so, acceptable so, words. So if we, if we respect and revere people who are godly and then also bring you closer to be the Moses or the end become closer to God, then it's, it's easier to revere him because you kind of can, you in the presence of him at all times. Right. Right. Especially if you respect God's people, you know, it's a part of it. Part of respecting God is respecting his people, mm -hmm. people in general, right? Everybody's created in the image of God. And, and respecting people, respecting ourselves. Because that's a start. If you can't see him and you can't be there and it's too abstract, the start is to actually 
deal with what we can see to get to where we need to be. Right, right. Can I ask a question? But, but, yeah. How do we, how do we, if we've never seen it, how do we envision it? Okay, excellent question. That's an excellent question, which actually leads me to a story. Actually, no, it leads me to, okay, the answer actually, Lynn, is right here, the bottom of 542. That's exactly what we're about to address. I'm glad you asked that. If I don't see God, how can I revere him? <laughs> it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty, that's uh, it, a high expectation. Falls into the faith category, doesn't it? So I could, I could have faith in him, but how do I revere this God that I believe in? Right? So the truth is, In, so, so let's let's take a look at what he says bottom of 542 and you should also be all the way in the bottom you should also recall this further point that just as a king of flesh 543 and blood is primarily feared because of his inner identity and energy not because of his body right let's say a regular human king now, again, this analogy is harder for us to relate to than when the Tanya was written, because in the days that the Tanya was written, there were actually kings that you had to revere. We don't really have kings anymore. We have politicians and nobody reveres politicians. So it's, <laughs> it's much harder for us these days to actually connect to this. But let's try our best to go with it. When one reveres a king, you don't revere, who do you revere? Not his body, but himself. And what's the proof? When the king is sleeping, you no longer revere him, right? Or in contemporary lingo, when the, when the cat's away, the mice come out and play, right? When, when the king, is, let's say a king is literally, let's say a king was, was on this Zoom call with us. Let's say the king was in together in the room with us, right? Physically we would behave differently. Assuming this king was actually in charge of us and actually had um, authority over us. We would be very self-aware. We would be very calculated in how we behave, right? But let's say the king is at the table with us at the Tanya club, right? I wouldn't be able to make my corny jokes. I wouldn't be, <laughs> we would be very careful and be on our best behavior. But let's say this king is at the Tanya club with us and he dozes off, right? The king finds me very boring and he dozes off. He's sleeping. How would you feel? A little bit more relaxed, right? A little bit less judged. I could start saying a little bit more corny jokes and he's not gonna, I don't have to worry about what he's thinking. He's sleeping, he's fast asleep, right? I really bored him. He's fast asleep at this table. But what does that show? The king is still there. Why do I no longer revere him? The answer is because I don't revere the king's body. I revere the king himself, his presence, right? Which means even if I don't see his body, I can still experience reverence for his presence. Make sense? Take a look on the bottom of 544. 
Um, Lynn, I think this line is going to answer your question. All the way in the bottom of 544, like um, below the line, but literally at the bottom of the page. You see it? Even a person who never saw the king and wouldn't recognize him at all personally would nevertheless be gripped with awe. Next page, on the again, under the line, in the middle of the page. 545 would nevertheless be gripped with awe and trepidation if he entered the king's courtyard and saw numerous high-ranking officials bowing to one particular person, realizing that this must be the king. Even if you don't see the king, but there's an aura of reverence, you'll still experience fear. If you never saw the king, but you saw his palace, and you walked into his palace, and you saw the awe, there was just an aura of awe, you would experience awe even without seeing the king. Make sense? Uh, and and the, what this goes to show is even a mortal king can be revered without being seen. Most people, I, I would venture to say, I don't, I don't know this, um, if this is true or not, but I, I got to believe it's true, that when most people feared the Tsar in Russia, most people never actually saw him, right? The Tsar was huge, but Russia is huge. <laughs> what are the chances that most people saw Tsar, the Tsar, right? Yet he had- They probably did see his soldiers though. They saw his soldiers, so they saw his authority, right? If we can have trust in God's authority, even though we don't see him, we'll revere him. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, that's kind of what we're saying. It's a, it, it's a developing an awareness of God's yes. authority in this world. What? Yes. You answered Make the sense? question. Yes. Okay. Amazing. Now, this is going to take a little bit of work on our part to develop this mindset. And then, David, you have a very valid point. It's much easier to revere a soldier with a rifle <laughs> than a loving God who, who is so patient with us and doesn't like to send so explicit messages. Thank God, right? God, please keep giving us hints and don't be so explicit with us. <laughs> keep it that way. <laughs> uh, it's better for it. But it is, it is definitely more hard to, to revere. I'll tell you a story. There was a young boy, a, a, a Hasid of Rabbi Menachem Edel Schneerson, not the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but his great-great-grandfather about 150 years ago, 100, maybe 75 years ago. And he had a, there was a young boy living in his area. His name was Rabbi Avraham. I forget his last name. Rabbi Avraham was a very smart boy. He was 10 years old and loved philosophy. Now, In the Jewish world, especially the Hasidic world, and in very traditional communities, people that are overly into philosophy, you know, you start to get a little concerned. Because faith and philosophy can be dichotomous. Even if it's Jewish philosophy, it's, you know, you start addressing questions that you never really had, and it's, it could be, the philosophy could make faith meaningful it could have the exact opposite uh, effect as well it can 
gum up our faith. I don't know if that's the right word or not. What's a good word here? It could, it could dull our faith. Convolute our faith. There we go. It could convolute our faith. Thank you. Right? If too much philosophy, too much, that's not, not to say that we shouldn't be using our heads. But using our mind as the premise for right and wrong can, can kind of mess everything up. Um, and this boy was very fluent in philosophical works. He was a 10-year-old. He was a smart kid. His father brought him to the Rebbe for a blessing. Give my son a blessing that when he's older, he shouldn't become a heretic. <laughs> right? Judaism, the philosophy should make his Judaism meaningful rather than make him cynical. The Rebbe pulled out a handkerchief, wrapped it around his hand, and starts swaying his hand back and forth. He tells the boy, what do you see? He says, I see a moving handkerchief. He says, well, who's moving the handkerchief? He says, the Rebbe's hand is moving the handkerchief. He says, how do you know? You don't see my hand. He says, yeah, but it's obvious. And the boy understood what, he, what the Rebbe was actually getting at. That philosophy is very much, and science as well, is very much about what is observed. Right? Science is about what's observed with the eye. Philosophy is what's absorbed with the mind. But there's a greater depth to that that you don't see. And you could still know it's there. We could still know God is very much relevant, very much present, even yes. though we don't see the king, even though we don't see him. I have, I have a question. So yeah, please. our mission in life that we have to get the eyes and we have to get knowledge and we have to get insight. But only I, I would say not knowledge, but, but the application, the knowledge is there. That's the Torah and that's God, but it's more the, the application of knowledge. The application, but to, to get the application of knowledge, you have to ask how it fits in to integrate it so you if you have to do everything you have to com put components of everything in with facts and understanding because if you're limiting yourself you can't do science and you can't do philosophy you won't be able to understand the the, the whole concept a hundred percent in other words what you're saying is you need to have a balance yeah well you, and, yeah, and you, i'll agree with you and you're allowed to ask because the truth will always say the truth. And so you always get back to the, the Torah or the, the right thing because you 100%. Be but that's only because you have a healthy attitude, right? Okay. But somebody who doesn't have a healthy attitude and wasn't trained in that mode of thinking. So science and Torah might not enhance their, their appreciation, but might actually convolute it. Okay. So we're not, we're not saying that science and, and philosophy are prohibitive. We're just saying that there's an, that it can actually make it more meaningful. But there has to be a underlying understanding that there's a objective truth. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes sense. And then that, that's exactly what you're saying. You can ask questions. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking because if you don't ask questions, then there's something you hiding. But if you ask questions and the truth will always come out, then it'll always come back to the right thing and it will be there. The answer is hundred percent, hundred percent. In other words, the, the, you know, the way we word it is you can, there's a difference between inquiring and challenging. Yeah. Then when that you inquire, the premise is that it's true. And I just want to understand when you challenge, 
the premise is maybe it's not true. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a lack of faith. Yeah. The bo bottom line is this takes training. It really takes training ourselves. Take a look on 545. The first bold paragraph of the page. Rather, the main thing though is practice to accustom your mind and conscious thoughts so that your mind and heart are focused always on the fact that everything your eyes see in the skies and earth and all their numerous components are all external garments of the King, the Blessed Holy One. And through this, you'll constantly recall their inner identity and energy. When you see the King, you see his royal robe, you see his crown, perhaps you see his physique, but what you revere is him himself, right? Because when he's sleeping, you don't revere him anymore, even though the garments, the physique, the crown, everything is there. And it's the same with God. We see his garments. We see his physique. We see his crown. We see the world. We see his impact on the world. We see it all. And we know God doesn't sleep. The reverence could be there. It takes training. And fascinating, a beautiful insight. Take a look on 546. The word emunah. The word emunah is the Hebrew word for faith, right? But emunah has a literal translation. It actually means to train, to accustom oneself. Because to internalize faith, it takes training. It takes work. Take a look on 546. The bold paragraph on the top. And this cognitive meditative practice could also be called emunah, usually translated as faith a term which implies practice, that a person accustoms himself like a skilled worker, an uman, right? A skilled worker is an uman, which is from the word emunah, who trains ma'amen, his hands, right? When we, uh, to really internalize faith, it takes training, it takes uh, a practice, it takes work. We can get there. We can do it. And by the way, this really centers around why we exist. To make ourselves a home for God, revering God and making our faith real, training our faith is really integral in, in making ourselves and our world a home for God. But there's another thing that's required. Accepting the yoke of heaven, right? Kabbalat oil, accepting the yoke of heaven which means a big part of reverence for God, of respecting God is do what he said. A from a philosophical perspective, I'll ask myself, how is this meaningful? And the more meaningful it is, the more inclined I will be to do it. But from a faith perspective, God said to do it, do it, <laughs> just do it. You should make it meaningful, but, but my passion for it should not be contingent on how meaningful it is. God said to do it, just do it, just do it. This is called Kabbalah's oil. 
And we actually literally train ourselves for this every morning, by the way. We don't only meditate on this. We physically train ourselves for this. When we bow during the Amidah in the morning. The reason why we bow during the Amidah prayer is because we are physically simulating our, that we're bowing before God so we can actually feel it. It's not enough to have uh, mental exercises. We have to physically act it out. I'll tell you two great stories. They're short. Story number one. The, I believe the, there was a rabbi who once remarked that Mashiach is going to introduce himself first to the simple Jews. Right? There's different types of Jews. You have the simple Jews and you have the sophisticated Jews. A simple Jew means I do it because God said. Right? God said to do it, I do it. A sophisticated Jew says, I understand the reasoning. I know the Talmudic analysis behind it. And halachically, it makes sense. And everything makes sense. And it's meaningful. And here's the explanation. And this is why it's beautiful. And, and Mashiach is going to introduce himself first to the simple Jews, right? The Baal Shem Tov valued, had an incredible, really valued the simple Jew. The, the Jew who did it because this is what God wants for me. There's something incredibly valuable about that. So there was this rabbi who found out about this and he was very nervous <laughs> because he was not at all simple. He was very sophisticated. He knew the entire Talmud at the tip of his fingers and everything made sense to him. And he was nervous. He said, wait a minute. How am I going to have a connection with Mashiach if I'm so sophisticated? And his rabbi said, see, you're fluent in the whole Talmud and you're missing something obedience you too could still be simple even though you're sophisticated by being obedient by telling yourself god wants it i'm gonna do it there was once a soldier who was jewish but he was a soldier in the in czarist russia in the army and there in his entire service in the army there was not a day that went by that he would wake up after six there was you know there's no sleeping sleeping in in the army and for his entire service he was never allowed to sleep in every day up at least at latest before six probably even earlier when he was released from the army from his service he made a resolution i'm going to continue to never sleep in past six they asked him why. You're free. <laughs> Do what you want. He said, no, no, no. If the czar, if I respect the czar enough or revere the czar enough to get up before six, I got to revere God and I can't get up after six either. I have to demonstrate at least as much reverence to God as I did to the czar. Because if God is real, then I got to treat him as I would, at least as I would the czar if not more. The main thing, the bottom line is Kabbalah will accept God's yoke, just do it. And to make it meaningful, to make the reverence meaningful, to make God relevant, to make him real, it's training, it's, and it's thinking, it's using, it's, and it's engaging our, our, our mind so, through the proper um, meditations. 
in the morning prayer, the uh, um, it's, it says, uh, compel our inclination to be subservient to you. Is that, that, is that, uh, do we have an inclination to be subservient or do we have to develop a, an inclination to be subservient? We, the answer is yes. <laughs> we have an inclination to not be subservient. <laughs> That's the default. So we're asking God, help a brother out. <laughs> help us out here. All right, help us make it a little easier. Great question. And, and that's the bottom line, by the way. Without God's help, this is going to be very difficult. Right? We can ask God, help me. God, you want this? So help me out. Right? It's not even for us. It's for himself. But he's got to help. Okay, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I like your uh, conclusion. 